Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Crash Clown Podcast. My name is Chino Liao, greeting you with your only episode for the week. I apologize, I have been very, very busy uh, doing things that I need to do before I fly off to the Big Apple. Um, not the Apple Store in Makati, but actually New York City in, in a few days. So we've talked about this at extent, in extent rather, uh, on this podcast. So I'm not going to talk about it any further. But I appreciate you dropping by for our, our little discussion with my guest for this week, Miss Soness Stevens. Now, Suness is one of those friends I've made over the pandemic season. She is a stand-up comedian based in Tokyo, Japan. And more importantly, she's a TEDx or TED Talk coach, speaking coach. Uh, which is interesting because I've always thought that TED uh, was one of those things that you just do. Uh-huh. Because their topics seem so random. As you will learn during this episode But upon further inspection They actually don't seem random at all In fact, they are very, very um, insightful and and specific And a lot of people hire Sones to help them with their TED Talks She has taught many people from many different fields And I have spoken with many people from many fields. And so that's why I love our little conversation about her work as a TED coach, as well as her life in Japan. But without further ado, let's jump into our episode with Sinesh Stevens. is somebody I made a friend with during the pandemic. She is a TEDx speaker and coach, as well as an amazing stand-up comedian based in Japan. Let's welcome Suness Stevens on the Class Clown Podcast. Hi, Suness. Hi, Tino. What a joy to be with you today. Thank you. No, thank you for saying yes to this, first of all, because you were actually one of the very first people I talked to about you know, comedians with um, interesting jobs. And I feel like your job, particularly because it's not a traditional job in the sense, is pretty interesting, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's not a desk job per se where you clock in uh, nine to five, you know, uh, work hours and all that. So 
basically, I do I'm, have a desk though. I have a sitting standing desk. So <laughs> like a, like I, a I, physical I desk, double, right? I double the work of other people because it's a sitting standing desk. Is that right. like, how do I, how do I balance I mean, that yeah, out? Maybe you're, maybe you're in a team all by yourself there. So, you know, maybe it works out that way. <laughs> Right. But no, basically, what I force is doubled. Yes, <laughs> one exactly. desk. You are, you are one company, which which works out. Uh, but no, basically, what I really wanted to ask you is because when you mentioned to me that you were a TED speaker, I honestly always thought that just that was just something people actually just did. You know, it's like that like stand up. You know, you just go up and do stand up. You, you, you just do it. <laughs> you just do it. So I didn't really understand the intricacies of what a TED speaker actually is. So could you explain to me and to my listeners as well what it actually is? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'll give a differentiation as well. I, I, you have these ideas that are are potentially life-changing, impactful, something that's going to create a different viewpoint in the world. And that's so much like comedy as well. We're here about changing perspectives, or at least that's why I'm doing comedy. Right. Uh, and <laughs> that's the same thing for TED and TEDx. Now, TED is the main stage event in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, they're the ones who bring you Elon Musk and Bill Gates, among other fabulous speakers who may have initially appeared on an independently organized event called TEDx. Now, I'm a TEDx speaker coach. Some of my speakers have spoken at TED and TEDx, and I'm a TED Worldwide talent search speaker, as well as a four-time TEDx speaker. So that means nice. uh, either I have decent ideas or uh, just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I, yeah, everything that I speak about is in the form of communications and what that means and how we how we relate to other people through my academic research uh, going beyond. So everything from the viewpoint to there. But my speakers, like I've trained over 140 TED and TEDx speakers around the world, and they are geniuses of their own rights. Just, oh, incredible people from the fields of robotics to psychotherapy to artists and musicians and one of my speakers right now is a shaman who's wow, about to okay. take the TEDx stage on June wow. 5th to speak about how to break up with your family. Because who hasn't wow. wanted to do that at one point or another? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Very appropriate, especially for those locked in with their families uh, during the <laughs> pandemic. Right. So, but I, yeah. I, want, I want to go jump to the very beginning of all of this because it's a very interesting topic. First of all, how did you find yourself in the world of TED? Well, so <laughs> how did I, you know, I, where do I even begin with this? So back in the day, Ted was coming to Japan to do an independently organized event through NHK TV and Ted kind of NHK is Japan's version of the BBC or PBS. Right. And I had a TV show at <laughs> on NHK TV. And at the time I was right. like, wow, I'd nice. really like to go check out, you know, Ted and TEDx as they're coming to Japan. And I just put it on my vision board. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. The vision board of all things. Like one day I'll have an idea that's great enough for Ted or TEDx and that'll be great. And uh, I went to my director at the time or my, yeah, my director at the time I was like, hey, is there any way I can get a ticket for this TED NHK right. event? And they said, Asanas, you know, sorry, there are no tickets available. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll give up and go home now. No, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I have this rule. If you, if someone turns you down 
uh, seven times, <laughs> you keep on asking an eighth time. Right. So I went to another person like, is there any way I can get a ticket? For no, 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 no. There's nothing available. Is there any way? No. Anyway, no. I just need no. Is there? No. Nope. And I went to the head of my department of NHK and I was like, is there any way? And they said, Sinez, I can get you one seat, but only one seat. And so like at that time, I was like, it's okay because I still fit in one seat. Right. <laughs> and ended up sitting next to some amazing people and they invited me out to lunch and it was the guy who started all the independently organized TEDx events around the world. He okay. probably also went to TED and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had independently organized TED events? And they're like, no, 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 no. And finally they said yes. And uh, he sat down at lunch with me. He's like, hey, if, if you if you had a chance to speak at TED for 30 seconds, what would you say? I said, well, actually at the university, I'm doing research on, have you ever felt shy? What would you do? Whoa, 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 what's in your lunchbox? I'm like, oh yeah, um, I make three meals a day in my rice cooker because I've had some health issues. And anyways, uh, so I make all my meals in a rice cooker. Anyways, let's go back. So as I was saying, my research on the shyness factor right. and what that looks like. And he's like, well, what you do what in a rice cooker? Like I, I make three meals a day, the rice cooker, Spanish frittata, uh, you know, uh, yeah, apple crumble, right? high green curry, you name it, I can make it in a rice cooker. So about shy, he's like, I want you to give a TEDx talk or a TED talk on your rice cooker. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I am an academic. Why are you uh, asking me this? Uh, but when opportunity comes, you say, yes, please. And yes. thank you. So I took that opportunity. And from there, I started uh, working with some of the other speakers about to take the stage, doing things that were not about a rice cooker. <laughs> and when I was on that stage as well, you know, the most incredible thing happened. They had the room filled with Asia's movers and shakers, 300 wow. people. And it's the first time Ted had come to Asia. And uh, Chris Anderson, the head of Ted said, you know, uh, Everyone has an idea worth spreading. And today's your opportunity. If you if you can come up here, you have 30 seconds to share your idea with spreading um, and become a TED speaker today. Right. And of course, we've got roboticists. We've got the heads of Google there. Ooh. We've got everybody who's doing anything wow. in, in Asia. All of Asia was there. All the elite minds and me. I'm talking about rice cooker. <laughs> and... Uh, and I was like, nobody's going up there. And he's like, all right, we'll take a 15 minute break. All right. Comes back from the break. Everybody's like, da, 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 yeah, ideas, 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 ideas. And he's like, okay, here's your opportunity. Please come down and you can share your idea worth spreading. And guess how many hands raised? None. Wow. Okay. Nobody. And so I raised my hand and he's like, can we have a TED speaker come back up? And Kelly, his, uh, the, Kelly was working with him at the time and she's like, nobody else is raising their hands. So I went up and I got to share my idea about my research about shy versus right. people who choose to communicate. So for 30 seconds, I got to take the stage again and wow, do my okay. real idea. And everyone came up like, oh my God, that's the idea I wished I'd heard about. I'm like, that's the idea I wish I'd spoken about. So from that event, I started coaching more and more people to find their idea, hone it down and really develop it in a way that would be impactful right. and create a message that's actually worth spreading at a TED or TEDx event. 
Right, right. No, so I mean, you said a lot of things there that we need to unpack bit by bit here. <laughs> First of all, I like how you are just very upfront with with yourself and put yourself out there to be able to put yourself out there uh, with such brazenness. Uh, got you to where you're at right now, right? Like, like if if you hadn't reached your hand that second time, people would only remember you as the uh, rice cooker girl, right? <laughs> so, so it's amazing that you're able to take that leap of faith. But my question actually is because you seem to have a background as a speaker uh, of sorts, was adapting to this new style uh, a little different? It was very different, you know, especially as a university lecturer, I would have 90 minutes to share right. my ideas out of the book of presentation skills, of which I wrote. I literally wrote the book right. on presentation skills and I would get to share that for 90 full minutes. But you know what it's like taking these ideas and and basically putting them into a magic genie's lamp and hoping that when you rub the lamp, magic will come out. Right. right. So. It's, it's a very different style and format. You have between four to 18 minutes to change the world in a sense, to convey something that's going to impact people on a cellular level and not have it be self-focused, but more a gift for others to receive. It's, it's a communication of love is what it really is. So it's a very different form than the regular keynote, which is why a lot of people are moving into TED style talks. So right. now I train a lot of CEOs on TED style speaking for their keynotes because they're right. being asked to give a 10 minute or 18 right. minute keynote as opposed to the traditional 45 to an hour long keynote. So it's a very different game. TED and TEDx have radically changed how we communicate and how much tolerance we have for the, right. the length of communication. Right. Right. Because it's interesting how you mentioned CEOs. I remember working for a startup out here that would have town hall meetings uh, after mm -hmm. work, uh, obviously. And when we'd have one of those, we'd dedicate a single day of those town hall meetings to somebody who'd actually do a TED style talk. Um, I got to do one as well, but that was just mostly comedy. And then other people got to go up and and talk about different things people talked about board games and uh, cycling if i had somebody talked about um uh cooking the perfect adobo which is a uh, which is uh, a national dish of the philippines here yeah. so it's, it's it's just a with what you've been saying and with what i've known about ted it just feels like such a um a broad spectrum of, of topics here so is is ted really just the way things are now where people can just go up and talk about anything or are there no limitations to it for the main stage TED and TEDx events or, or for just in, in general, like, you know, just like in a broader mm -hmm. spectrum. So for TED, it, it stands for technology, entertainment and design. Right. And so it, it's really interesting how it started off to ensure that everything was uh, based in, science or experience right. citizen science is a big area so for example one of my ted speakers cesar harada he's a citizen scientist he's actually not a scientist by training he doesn't have a phd in science but he built a robot that cleans up oil spills 
Wow. (laughs) So, and cleans up nuclear radiation. He teaches kids how to love science. And so he's a Ted senior fellow, which means Ted really, really likes him. So that's an area. Everything must be grounded in that. So Ted is not a a venue to talk about religion or, um, or anything that, you know, might come across as potential pseudoscience or something that's not been grounded in hard sciences. Right. So that's a really difficult area. It used to be very, very strict. And then it got very lenient. Like here's how you can lose weight without right. eating, you know, something. So that's like, what I know that. Yeah. That's what I know that from the, 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 here's how to love your family better, or here's how right. to improve your life through greens. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's part of, uh, it's part of education. It's the green thing. Like things started going that way. I was, I've always taught people, you know, you definitely need to have, you definitely need to have something that's supported by data. And then everybody's definition of what data is has changed. So what's happened this year, actually in 2021, they reinstated their standards. So they've raised the bar again to ensure that everything must be backed by data right okay by academic data not just oh i referenced this book and it's this area or love yourself or something like that it has to be their their standards have increased again which is actually a positive thing it's making sure that people are getting the correct information so for example one of my speakers she's a psychotherapist based in california and jesse jesse's got this amazing talk on anxiety and how to deal with anxiety now coming out of a pandemic that's a massively interesting topic exactly and they flagged her Wow. Because she used the word anxiety. She used the word emotions. And this is a really good thing that they did flag her because they wanted to make sure that it was supported by science and evidence. And it was. She's a psychotherapist licensed for the past 20 something years. She's published. So all of this stuff after checking all the all the um, the items off the list and checking the citations, they were able to see that this is a genuinely genuinely qualified idea and we're able to put the video online. Another one of my speakers as well, he's, uh, he's, Rob's, he's amazing. He's a, he works for a suicide prevention hotline okay. as well as he's a barefooter. So it means he walks around barefoot. Okay. He's done that for almost 20 years now. And so really about feeling the emotions and awareness. And he's got heaps of, you know, he had to get heaps of certifications just to do their job that he was doing. And he's a professional listener. So he had to have all these qualifications. So his talk was flagged as well because it uses emotional awareness Mm -hmm. and things that could be like, is he, you know, is he coachy? Is he what, what is he? Not that coaches are bad. I think coaches are great, but when it comes to dealing with trauma and so forth, they definitely want it grounded in here's where this research comes from. So he was qualified and we were easily able to move them past the flagging point. Right, right. Okay, so my what I'm getting here as a coach, you approach each of your clients um, differently, correct? As any mm-hmm. proper coach would do. Um, but do you yourself find that you're learning a thing or two while you're coaching these new speakers? Oh, that's the best thing ever. Like, my speakers are geniuses. I'm not a genius, but I get to tap into theirs. It's so right. much fun. Like, um, one of my speakers spoke about digital robots. And I had worked with another one of my speakers on robotics, which was absolutely fascinating. And then to move into digital robots, I'm like, what? RPA? Like, what is this? And getting to dive into the world of understanding. It's not 
quite an app. It's not, it's just how these things connect together and working together intensively learning about how technology is shifting and changing. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal getting to work through that. Oh, and he, we have an award-winning talk, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. We both worked really hard on it. So I'm really proud of him. And my speakers work so hard, so hard. And, you know, getting to understand these different pieces of technology or different ideas and philosophies, it's absolutely incredible. And I get to use them in my own life as well. Yeah, so I'm constantly learning. Right, right, right. So let's say I wanted to do a TED Talk and I hire you as my coach. How would, how long would it take for me to be ready to hit the TED stage? And how would that, that happen? How would the process be to go about that? Well, you know, for everyone, it's a different amount of time. Right. So I usually say, let's look at anywhere between nine months to a year in advance. So if we're starting out from nothing, let's say, Chino, you have, yeah, give me an example of your, an idea. Well, if you had 30 uh, seconds on the TED stage, what would you say? Uh, the, the, the many uses of coconuts. Let's say, the let's many say that. uses of coconuts. Right. Ah, coconuts are great, aren't they? Love they coconuts. Are. <laughs> yeah. They are. I mean, yeah, seriously, it's keto, it's paleo, it's gluten-free. And then I mean, yeah, and, and out here we use them for so many things like like um fabrics and, and cleaning materials out here in the Philippines. So it's just a variety of uses for Filipinos as well. Oh, coconuts are amazing. You can use them for soaps and scrubs exactly. and building. And yeah, there's right. a million uses and it's all vegan. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's coconuts. So what we would do, Chino, is we would spend the first six to eight weeks exploring right. your ideas and really digging into finding your, as we say in Japanese, I've lived in Japan for most of my life, uh, 25 right. years of wow. lived here. And uh, go back to what we say in Japanese, kokoro zashi. Kokoro means heart and zashi means to pierce through. So it's the heart's mission. Figure out what your heart's mission is, where that comes from, and creating from there, creating from the space of that conviction comes, because from conviction comes competence. With competence comes confidence. We want to create all of that. So we start looking at your idea and we pull it together to create your core thesis. And the core thesis is the thread that ties together your entire talk. And from there, we start creating your audition piece. And this is different links for different events. And we look at which events you will be applying for and seeing how long we need to create that for. We'll probably create a couple of of renditions for your audition piece. And then we start applying. So from there, each event has different different times and dates that right. you can apply to. So we don't know when they're going to be opening, especially right now during a pandemic. During pandemic Every event yes. has shifted, right? right? So usually that takes six to eight weeks to be uh-huh. able to create that. And then from there, once we've created that, we start working on the second phase, which is the entirety of the entire talk. But for you, Chino, maybe let's say you've got your audition piece done and it's uh, May. Right. Let's say it's May. We'll start looking at events that are six to eight months in the future. So for you, we probably start looking at spring 2023. Right. And start searching there. And once we find that, then we'll we'll start to create the full talk hand in hand, line by line, crafting it so that every word hits with impact. Nice. 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 So from there, from us covering Ted for the past 20 minutes or so, I want to dive into your comedy history a bit because this is still a, a comedy podcast here. 
uh, as best as I can. Um, so for yourself, because that you are a speaker and stand up is something that they, you do, do you find yourself naturally gravitating towards comedy when you started doing it? Did it come easy for you to do stand up? I think comedy is, don't you think it's its own field in itself? It's very different from traditional storytelling or speaking. Right. It was like, I'll do stand-up comedy and be a confident speaker. I think most great comedians feel like they want to vomit before they walk on stage. You know, there's there's something about it that's different. There's right. a, it's vulnerable in yet a different way. Right. So, <laughs> you know what I it's mean? It's like somebody told me before, it's like you're at the edge of a cliff about to jump but you don't really do it that's mm. what the feeling was like that's a good description of that yeah and everybody's decision to do comedy comes from a different place and what right. kind of comedy you do and and how that comes forward you know not, i think you know a lot of people are like ah you know it's not important for comedians to talk about um social issues or stand right. up for this but whereas that's where i came into this from so everyone has a different perspective on comedy right. I decided to get into it, not because, uh, you know, here, I'm going to make a mini TED talk, but at the same time, I do base most of my comedy in social changes that I'd like to see. And how can we create that social change or just a little bit of a, a shift in thinking and consciousness through laughter? Because if you're laughing, you're learning. So that's where I came to it from. And then from there, um, you know, right. some of the humor's light, some of it's dark. You know, right. I talk about my dead dad and dead babies, and then in right. the next minute, I'm talking about barbecues with my neighbors. So, right. Yeah, right. No, because comedy is just it's such a varied, such a wide range. As wide as the TED talk, uh, probably because everybody can make a joke about anything nowadays. You know, so it's really just up to you or what you want to talk about on stage. So, as a speaker yourself, you do this for a living professionally mm-hmm. uh, which is what for a living means um you <laughs> do you find your comedy being affected with your job or does your comedy also affect being a uh ted coach oh i think positively for both sides you know right. I, I think the reason why i started getting proper gigs like pretty much straight up. Like I did my first comedy class, I did my first open mic and then uh immediately was booked. So right. I think there was a different level of confidence I had. However, comedy writing is a completely different skill. Just like public mm-hmm. speaking is a very different skill from comedy. Hugely different. And so learning that I was like, mm, I don't know about this. You know, I don't think I'm ready to to go off and get paid to do this kind of stuff. So I immediately went and hired a coach. I was like, I would like to learn how to do this properly. I could suck for the next 10 years or I could suck less for the next 10 years. Right. And I was like, I'm going to learn how to craft this better, how to how to immerse myself in it, how to find those ideas that are really funny. Because, you know, with talks, you get an ample amount of time. But for right. comedy, it's in, out, in, out, in, right. out. It's constantly shifting directions. Right. You're not leading the audience, whereas often in speaking, you're leading the right. audience to come to that right. conclusion. And in comedy, you're leading the audience to, oh, no, <laughs> I went that right. way instead. Right. So it's it's different. But for as far as speaking, it's really helped a lot because 
finding the ability to tap into my speakers style and their humor and being able to go, oh, okay. All right. You have this sort of dry sense of humor. Let's try adding some jokes in here. Let's try putting this in here and see how that rolls off. Or I'll take extra notes of what, what they laugh at or what they say that's really funny to make sure that it's coming in through it through the entirety or in the right places to create levity in their talks. Not that I think every talk should be comedy. I think a lot of TED talks are PhDs who wanted to be stand-ups and then right. didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not what it should be, but really figuring out what your personality is and being able to pull that through. Right. A lot of them are really funny, you know, pretty mm-hmm. silly uh, at times. So I've seen, I've seen more to TED talks and uh, some of them were pretty, pretty funny. I found myself uh, giggling for, for a bit. But from what I'm trying to get at here is your ability to to determine a specific point of view. That must come from you being able to do comedy, correct? Because then you're able to attack your speaker's approach in their Mm. own sort of specific sort of way, right? Well, I started doing speaking way before I started doing comedy. So I did improv comedy back when I was in university. Right. The academic side of me came out first in understanding what makes what makes a connection right. between two people communicating and what that looks like. So I went far into the academic side before I went into the humorous right. side. Yeah, um, does uh, I think it does? It shifts how I hear people's humor points and mm, creating more it. levity. However, yeah, I feel like I mean this is. Literally, all I've done is TED speaker coaching, TED and TEDx speaker coaching since 2011. And prior to wow. that, I was doing okay. stage and TV and, you know, voiceovers. Okay. So, as well as I was a writer for Fox TV, and it was kind of a comedy series. So I did that kind of stuff. But um, was this yeah. all in Japan or? All in Japan. Right. Yeah. So I've lived here for most of my adult life. So I graduated and then came straight here. Ah, as you've said. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, Japan is really a fascinating place for Mm -hmm. me, but I I feel like if you weren't a local and you don't speak the language, it'd be hard for you to uh, adapt to the environment. So that alone is hard enough, but you actually perform stand-up for who I assume are are Japanese people, correct? It's Actually, it's a balance um, of expats and Japanese. So a lot of Japanese, when they come back from abroad, it's as you mentioned, you know, it's really interesting when you when you come here as a foreigner, it, it is hard to fit in and to right. find one's footing. And it's even harder as a foreign female is hands down. It's a different right. experience right. <laughs> or hands up your skirt. It's a very different experience. <laughs> but, but when Japanese go abroad as well, it's a very Japan. Can, it's a very uh, it's like a bento box culture. Mm. So everything okay. has its place and it fits everywhere neatly. Right. And when you go abroad, things get kind of messy and they spill out. So there's a lot more of a, a freedom mindset, not necessarily like, oh, this communist here. It's not, but it's more of a um, an expanded different way of thinking. Right. And to come back into a bento box would be very challenging. Have you ever smoked right. a bento box? Pretty hard to put the peas back in one place. That right. rice is all over. <laughs> so, Sauce gets yeah. everywhere. That's yeah. <laughs> ah, right. Like, yeah, soy sauce. Come on, what am I doing here? But so a lot of the people who come back from uh, from abroad, they are like, "What? Where do I fit in here?" And you see, those are the type of people who have been immersed in, you know, stand up comedy specials around the world, and they're they have a different 
kind of sense of humor that's right. come through. And that's one of the few places they can tap into it is at these stand up comedy shows in Japan. Right, right. Because again, this from my limited experience being in Japan, um, mm-hmm. I've been there once or twice during, you know, before things went to hell. And I've, I've only <laughs> in Japan did I ever really experience what that true Japanese restaurant was like, you know, because I am used to the concept of a, a Japanese restaurant having all the Japanese food you know of. When mm-hmm. in, in Japan, it's not a thing. You don't have teriyaki with, with sushi in the same oh, restaurant, no. for, for example. So, <laughs> it, so it's very compartmentalized in, in the food alone, let alone with, with everything that, that exists out there. So for you as a, as a foreigner coming to Japan, was the transition hard at all? I think initially I was so, in, I was so naive Right. I didn't notice that it was that hard mm, until right. I started speaking Japanese somewhat fluently. Then I realized, oh, wait a minute. I know what they're saying now. <laughs> so that's right. when there starts to be a gap. So Japan is one of those places, love, hate, love, hate, love, hate. And there's all these waves that go all the way through. Right. And, you know, in the end, I think about it. I'm like, wow, I'm so fortunate to be here, especially during a pandemic. But there have been times where it's it's been a struggle. And I wondered, you know, would it be that same struggle in another country? It, yeah, it might be. It also gives me a, a better ability to appreciate the the immigrant experience for right. others that they're experiencing in the United States. Because right. I'm an immigrant. I will always be seen as a foreigner. I will never be seen as Japanese. Right. I could get Japanese citizenship, but I'd have to, you know, give up my American one. Right. <laughs> but I, I could do that, but I will never be seen as anything but a foreigner. And that's something that yeah, it's 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 a strange space to live in and it gives me a better appreciation for what other people might be experiencing. I can't say, oh, I know exactly what you're experiencing. I can say is, you know, I don't get served in restaurants sometimes. Right. Uh, I'm refused service on occasion and okay. I, I get pulled over by cops on my bicycle. Do you have a registration for that bicycle, man? <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's those little things that like, okay, uh, this is what I chose to do. And I chose to immerse myself in this kind of experience. And it's nothing compared to what other people experience by not of choice. So I hope that it, I hope that it, it has opened up a bit more of desire for understanding and compassion for others when they're expressing like, Hey, I've, I've been suffering with this, right. This experience of being an immigrant or this experience of being um, othered in, in my community. Uh Not that I would wish that upon anybody, but um, yeah, when you're not treated in a hospital because you're a foreigner time and time again, Wow. Oh, okay. Um, so I do kind of seek out when I choose the people I'm going to work with, my speakers, I love people who are going to make a difference and a change right. for others on a social or societal level when there's right. been systemic challenges, if we want to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Not that yeah. I completely get the experience, but I have my own version. And I, that's how we are as human beings. We have our right. own version of an experience, especially as comedians. We have our own version of an experience. Right. And when the audience is laughing, you're like, oh, they have a version of that experience right. too. Right. I, no, I totally understand where you're coming from, especially from the immigrant part, because I myself am, am the son of immigrants. My parents migrated to the U.S. a while back. Uh, so they actually been there for a long, long time now. 
And so I get, you know, I get, I get totally get where you're coming from being other than your own community. Uh, it might not be the same exact thing because we, they are in America and there were a lot of Filipinos where they moved to. So, but it's, it's definitely an experience I can relate to, you know, being, mm. being a foreigner in a, a foreign land, if you will. Mm. Uh, but I guess our experiences, our shared experiences here, they contribute a lot to what we do. Like I talk about it a lot. Uh, in my mm-hmm. comedy, and you probably do so in your comedy as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I talk a lot about that. Um, I try not to do here's the strange thing about Japan kind of comedy. There are plenty of foreign comedians doing that. On occasion, I'll, I'll add something in, you know, little snippets from life, but often it's about, you know, gender roles or right. um, or <laughs> perverts on trains. You know, right. things like, I, you know, let, let's stop some sexual assault on the trains, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, um, right. which is not a not a line out of any of my material specifically, but I have other material that's close enough to it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, and that's an interesting thing that you brought up about your family. Oh, the, oh, but they have a lot of Filipinos around them. Oh, but right. they have, and that's something that I'm used to doing for myself. Like, oh, but I made the choice. Oh, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. It's this justification of right. uh, my story's not relevant. My mm. story's not important. My story doesn't have a, any bearing on right. on a building a relationship with other people or uh, seeing. And when, when we do that, I also wonder if I'm doing that for myself, am I also dismissing someone else's story? Mm-hmm. And so and that's a question that I would ask like, Oh, okay. I dismiss my own story. Am I dismissing someone else's? Right. So when I hear your story about your parents, Oh, but there's plenty of immigrant, there are plenty of Philippines. There's plenty of this, that, and the other. It's a right. wide enough country for everyone to be part of. Right. And it doesn't matter how many Filipinos are around them surrounding. And there's right. great Filipino communities and Filipinos are all about family and community. Right. At the same time, there is that daily little bit of a struggle, uh, but it was my choice to move here. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I can imagine for your parents, it has, it has the same beauty and pain of right. anyone who's changed cultures drastically. Right. And what that feels like for them is their own unique experience and their experience of that will be different from their neighbor's experience right. of that. I mean, there's not, a lot of commonality. I'm not trying to dismiss your story here because I, you know, I, I understand. feel that way at all. <laughs> no, because in in truth, what I was trying to get at here is that our stories, each of our own stories, while mm. relatable, are uniquely our own, right? Like we 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 talk to each other based on what we know, right, and try to connect, find a midway sort of, mm. between between what we know and trying to connect and see where we can, can sort of meet and understand each other. Mm. That's right, such a right? beautiful way of saying that, Chino. Continue, right. keep going. This is exciting. No, because, no, 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 because I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to say that, yes, my parents did move here, but then so did my siblings. And you said something about a change in culture. Both my siblings are American citizens now. They live, they live mm. in the U.S. now full time. Um, don't have plans of moving back anytime soon. And while I am mostly based here in Manila, they have their own lives out there as well. So I can totally understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. in terms of changing cultures, because I assume you have no plans of uh, moving back to the U.S. anytime soon, right? And you're <laughs> fully, fully entrenched in, in the Japanese culture, even though you know you feel like you are an outsider there. So 
I, I can totally relate and see where you're coming from because I mean, as a as a Filipino myself who visits the US frequently, even if I like get to do stand up there and have mm-hmm. family there and tour the country there, I still feel like pretty much an outsider. Like I'm just mm-hmm. dabbling in, in their culture and and then leaving as soon as things get kind of uh, difficult. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting. I like dabbling in their culture. I love yeah, that you know, expression. Like dipping, like dipping my toe in the water, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And that's also the joy of being, you know, bicultural, multicultural, right. as many of us are these days. You know, not right. everyone is raised in just one culture at this point. Uh, <laughs> I always find it interesting. You dabble in there and and how do we how do we play with that mindset right. or how do we enjoy each of those aspects? And I think there were times where you know especially getting dismissed from hospitals left right and center and having medical staff rip up my records and say she was never here and it was like i was there (laughs) um (laughs) so things like that like when there's blatant um when there's blatant discrimination based Mm -hmm. on you know my nationality or not being japanese it's really frustrating on the other side there's more playfulness like i would have never become a writer for fox Mm -hmm. tv japan had i not been a foreigner who is bilingual. I would have never had TV shows like so many degrees. I would have never become the voice of Hello Kitty had I not been, I never would have performed in front of audiences of a thousand plus for 15 years every weekend. You know, that was my life because of this extra element. And so there's so many beautiful, positive things. And then there's the other side. So there's always the light and the dark, the yin and Mm -hmm. the yang, the in toyo, and how that looks for us. and then I, I got to play with it the other day. I went down to the beach. Um, so I live in Chigasaki. It's a, it's a beachside community, surfer community. Right. And I went down and, you know, I always look at people and I, I wonder all these questions, you know, like there's a guy down there and he's got a tattoo just below his belly button and right. a tattoo on the back of his neck in a circle. And he's fishing shirtless with a net. And I looked at that. And in Japan, if you have a tattoo, you can't go to a hot spring. Right. And I always wonder, you know, how much do you got to love tattoos to say, I want to tattoo more than I want to go to a hot spring. And hot springs <laughs> are everyday culture right. in Japanese life. Right. Like, you know, what are you doing over the long weekend? Going to a hot spring. Right. You know, that's the thing. But if you have a tattoo, you can't go in because okay. it's either AIDS based or Yakuza based, which is the Japanese mafia. And I'm like, how much do you have to you love your tattoo? And I looked at the tattoos and I was like, are they that great? And there's a little part of me that just wants to ask, like, why did you get that tattoo? Uh, what is your thought behind this? How did you make these decisions? And it's not like a judgment, like, oh, that's a bad thing to do. It's just like, I really want to know why. How do people choose these paths? Just like you asked me today, like, how did you choose the path of becoming a TEDx speaker coach? You know, right. how did you choose to, be, to become a comedian? What is it about that? And you have that same innate curiosity. Well, the foreigner card, the gaijin card, the immigrant card gives me license to like walk up to people and ask random questions. Nice. So, so here I am at the beach yesterday and I go up to this guy and I'm like, oh, nice fishing today. What did you catch? Oh, you caught these things. And this is all like Japanese. And right. uh, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting. And the tattoo style is it's a circle. It's just a okay. oh, come on. Come on is a family crest. Okay. And so it's a very unusual vocabulary word, which most Japanese might not use on a daily basis. But I'm like, oh, you have a nice come on. You have a nice 
crest on your back. How did you decide to get that? And he talked about his family and decisions there and his wife and baby come up. And, you know, we're all talking about this tattoo. I'm like, so which do you like better, tattoos or hot springs? They thought this entire time, oh, she's just, you know, some tourist or something, even though tourists right. can't get into Japan right now. You know, right. there's a tourist lockdown. Also, just, tourists don't speak Japanese, so there's that, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they thought they were speaking English. I really do <laughs> think they thought they were speaking English. There's a lot of times where Japanese are like, I'm pretty sure my English just got really good. Because yeah. <laughs> occasionally it's better than they're like, yes, 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 tattoo, yes. <laughs> and they'll continue on in Japanese and then like the occasional yes yes Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it's just like these random English words. so I'm pretty sure they're like dang my English skills are great (laughs) and I walk away going like oh my Japanese skills are so good they're probably speaking English to me and I totally forgot no um, (laughs) but we get to have these conversations and I get to ask these really weird curious questions because I cross the lines of culture I don't have to necessarily abide by the rules that fit in this bento box mm-hmm. i get to play outside and sample other things and um and that was just yesterday at the beach <laughs> nice uh, I, I mean i'm i'm gonna end it here i'm gonna end the talk here because it's just a nice way to wrap things up in, in a little bowl we've talked about so many things throughout this episode and i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to talk to me um, so if you want to let the people know where they can find you, your stand-up, your coaching, uh, now's the time to do so. Oh, thank you, Chino. First of all, it's been such a joy to be with you today. You are such a delight. I love your curiosity and how you approach life and your questions you. and your permission to share. You ask a question, you're like, just go, keep going. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Um, it's such a rare thing to do, to feel um, open in that space and to feel heard And the way that you create that, Chino. It's beautiful. Thank you so thank much you. for that gift. Um, if you'd like to know more about TED or TEDx and how to get on your speaking journey, come follow me at yourspeakingjourney.com. Yourspeakingjourney.com. You can see everything about the work that I do. You can see some of my amazing featured speakers. They work so hard and I'm so proud of them, but check it out. Yourspeakingjourney.com if you want to follow my comedy. I very rarely do social media, uh, but if I do, I'm on Instagram, Sones Stevens. That's S-O-N-E-S-S Stevens. All right. Thank you, today. And that does it for this week's episode of the Class Clown Podcast. Again, a very, very special thank you to Sines Stevens. Please check her out on Instagram and on her webpage, website rather, yourspeakingjourney.com. Grab it. We learned so much from this episode. It It went places I didn't expect it to go, but then... You know, as an immigrant, that's kind of what happens uh, with the pot, with the conversation. So I really, really appreciate her taking the time out of her busy schedule to talk to me. And I can't wait to connect with her once we are both in the East Coast. Until then, though, I will spare you with any more New York talk. I promise. I don't need it. This is it. I will, however, say that this might be 
by uh, very last episode uh, before a 10-day break because I don't really know what I can do to put it out more episodes uh, for next week. I will also say that despite the 10-day break, I can guarantee you, I can promise you with certainty that in June, we will have a lot more episodes to put out. I already have two great guests lined up for them. And oh my God, you guys, I am so excited about the news that I just received today. So please be on the lookout for those episodes. Um, I can't really announce it yet since nothing's on paper, but hopefully you guys are in for a very, very good treat. So until then, this has been a Podcast Network Asia production powered, of course, by Podmetrics. My name is Chino Liao. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.